Half hour wasted. Random audio files. Episode 2. What will they like? Oh, this will be yours. What, the curtains? No, not the curtains, lad. All that you can see, stretched out over the hills and valleys of this land. That will be your kingdom, lad. But mother... Father, I'm father. But father, I don't want any of that. Listen, lad, I built this kingdom up from nothing. When I started it, all it was was swamp. Although the king said it was daft to build a castle in the swamp. So I built it all the same, just to show them. I sank into the swamp. So, I built the second one. That sank into the swamp. So I built the third one. That burned down fell over, then sank into the swamp. But the fourth one stayed up. And that's what you're going to get, lad. The strongest castle in these islands. But I don't want any of that. I'd rather... Rather what? I'd rather just sing. Stop that, stop that. You're not in the song alarm, yeah? Listen, listen, lad. In 20, 20 minutes, you're getting married to a girl whose father owns the biggest tracts of open land in Britain. But I don't want land. Listen, Alice. Herbert. Herbert. We live in a bloody swamp. We need all the land we can get. But I don't like her. Don't like her? What's wrong with her? She's beautiful. She's rich. She's got huge tracts of land. I know. But... I want the girl that I marry to have a certain special something. Cut that out, cut that out. Look, you're marrying Princess Lucky, so you'd better get used to the idea. Guards! Make sure the prince doesn't leave this room until I come and get him. Not to leave the room, even if come and get him. No, no, until I come and get him. Until you come and get him. We're not into the room. No, no, no. You stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. And you'll come and get him. Right. We don't need to do anything apart from just stop him entering the room. No, no. Leaving the room. Leaving the room, yes. All right? Oh, if, 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 all right. All right. Oh, I remember. Uh, can he leave the room with us? No, no. You just keep him in here and make sure. Oh, yes, we keep him in here, obviously. But if we had to leave and we were with him, just keep him in here until you or anyone else, not anyone else, just me, just you, get back. Get back. Right, right. We'll stay here until you get back and uh, make sure he doesn't leave. What? Make sure he doesn't leave. The prince. The prince? Yes, make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, yes, of course. I thought you meant him. You know, it seemed a bit daft to me having to guard him when he's a guard. Oh, quite clear, no problems. Right. Where are you going? We're coming with you. No, no, I want you to stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, I see, right. But father, shut your noise, you, and get that suit on. And no singing! Oh, go get a glass of water.
standing outside of an area just north Dallas in a town called Plano, there's an area, a shopping area called the Shops at Legacy. And tucked away next to something called the Main Street Cafe is some place called Fine Arts and Memorabilia. It's kind of an unassuming building or shop. You just walk by it, and it doesn't really stand up from any of the other ones. But when you peek in, you find some of the most amazing autographed posters, sports items, musical instruments, movie posters, and movie props. And a lot of this stuff isn't cheap either. I mean, uh, we're, we're talking about thousands of dollars stuff, but the presentation on all of the posters is pretty impressive. I decided to go in and talk to the manager on staff just to ask him a little bit about the shop and, well, how he gets involved in something like this. Okay, my name is Timothy Cox. Mm -hmm. Uh, The name of the store is Fine Autographs and Memorabilia. Okay. Um, So you have a lot of high-end things in here. Let's talk about that flag right behind you. Yeah, sure. Because that's pretty impressive. So what's the story behind the flag? Yeah, that flag uh, was signed by the the crew from the Challenger from 1986, the one that exploded in the tragedy. Um, But that was actually collected from a a gentleman that worked at NASA. Really? Okay. And uh, uh, we actually, or my boss, uh, actually collected that from the gentleman that got the astronauts to sign the flag. So that's one of the highlights of the store, in my opinion, uh, is, you know, we deal with a lot of um, uh, music, movie, presidential, and space yeah. uh, memorabilia. Uh, so. And uh, you were telling me earlier about your media room, yes. which you have a poster, uh, you have the gun of Al Pacino, you have Al Pacino's gun <laughs> yeah. from Scarface. Okay. Yeah. you got to describe it to me, Okay, that, what the presentation looks like. The presentation is, uh, it's, uh, it's of course, a shadow box. Uh-huh. It has the actual gun that was used <laughs> in Scarface uh, inset in the shadow box, and it has a poster inside of Al Pacino is he's actually using the gun. Right, right. Uh, and then, of course, we have a little plaque that says, Say hello to my little friend, which everybody <laughs> knows is one of the most famous lines from the movie. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, that gun is, um, you know, it's one of the most significant pieces in media history. Yeah. Is uh, that gun. So we're proud to have that gun in yeah. the store. And that, that gun, actually, I'll tell you, come from a place called Ellis Prop Supply. Okay. And they are the ones that supply the guns for the movies. Really? Yeah. Okay. They, they've actually went out of business now, but back, uh, they started in the 20s with silent films. Ooh. And uh, and then, of course, as time went on, they, they grew and, and became one of the most... Um, uh, they were the prop supply company that supplied okay. props for the, for the movies. So how do you acquire most most of these? Well, factors? I'll tell you. You know, uh, the the owner of the store. I, I don't want to give names, but no, I'll tell no. you this. Uh, he he's been doing this for about thirty years. Okay. And he's uh, you know we work close with dealers, uh, other dealers, auction mm-hmm. houses. We have runners that get things for us. Uh, so it, it's kind of a mixed game on how we get things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course some personally collected items right, from, right, from right. me and the owners as well. Yeah, but it's 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 just such a very impressive collection. Yeah, How long have you guys been here? We've been we've been at this location for about six months. Okay. Yeah. So you're really really new. Yeah, okay. here in this in this area, we have other stores too. Oh, well. really? Okay. Yeah. Is this like a franchise? Well, it's not a franchise. Uh, we we like to separate the stores and and you know give them their own identity. Okay. Know, but we do have other stores. Okay, great. Yeah, and also the guitars. Uh, we have stage play guitars, mm-hmm. and we have just autograph guitars. 
we have uh, Eric Clapton's stage play guitar that he nice. used in the 94-95 from the Cradle Tour. Wow. Which uh, he owned that guitar for about six years. Really? Yeah, and then uh, he sold it in 99 at the Christie's Auction. Uh, along with 100 guitars that he sold to benefit his Crossroads Center at that he wow. has. Okay. So, uh, well, do, do you have a favorite item here? What's my favorite, favorite item is going to be the uh, the Highwaymen piece that, that we have that signed. It's a, a guitar that's shadow boxed and it has uh, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, <laughs> Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson on it. Wow! Everybody remembers the famous song Highwayman, right? Which right, is right. Uh, one of my favorite songs. Well, tell you about one other question. Uh-huh. You have a lot of just great stuff here. What's the most expensive thing? Because some of the stuff is just you know the most expensive thing. Uh, Will be the Scarface guy. Really? Yeah, that, okay. that would be the most expensive thing there. Um, and that's six. Is it six thousand? Or do I see that correctly? Well, that that that, that piece is actually one hundred and forty-seven thousand. <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> That's how much it was? Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, when I say it's the most significant piece in media history, that's what it means. That it wow. really is. And so, uh, Over 100K. Yeah. Man. And also, the Godfather gun that was used in the scene where Al Pacino shot um, the police, the police it, chief, it, it, and then, um, I can't remember the guy's name. In the diner? Uh, yeah, in the yeah. diner, the restaurant scene where uh, Pacino actually went to the restroom and pulled the gun down from behind the toilet. Right. Um, we actually had that gun in the media room wow. as well. And that goes for about 134 Wow. So uh, it, there's, those are the most expensive pieces, but we, we have autographs from... You know, a hundred dollars to, you know, a hundred k. Well, I appreciate your time. Sure. This, is, this is an this is any geeks collector's uh, dream place. This is really cool. Well, if you love music, movies, uh, this is the place to come. Great. Well, Absolutely. thank you so much for your time. Sure. Today. Thank you. Hey. Thank you. Hey, and that time it did record. Good look at that. <laughs> You may know me as Bill the Voice, but you can call me Bill. I'd like to think by now we've become good friends. In any case, during my part of this presentation, I expect that we're going to have an awful lot of fun. Why would I think that? No good reason, really. But I'm going to try anyway, and here's how I'm going to do it. We're going to start with a pocket thumbnail review, a snapshot, if you will, of Blackest Night Issue 5. Yeah, I just picked this up Wednesday and took it with me uh, for Thanksgiving. Uh, got to read it uh, over the weekend, and um, so we'll get to that. Um, that will be a, a spoiler-filled review, um, so if you haven't read it yet, uh, you might want to go out and read it and then come back and pick this back up uh, as soon as you have read that because uh, I don't want to give anything away. Um after that, I plan on staying in the world of Blackest Night for my particular homage to the fantastic summer, fall, mid, late, winter uh, series that's going on. And I'm going to do that in my own special way. Yes, I'm going to tweet my love for Blackest Night. And I'm going to do it like four or five times. Holy crud. And finally, after I've sapped all your life force with that, I'm going to finish up with the return of one of the most storied segments in show history. Well, not show history. Um, actually, this wasn't on the show. 
Um, uh, you'll know what I mean when we get there. Let me just say that it has something to do with Chapter 2 of one of the greatest books of all time. With the housekeeping out of the way, let's go ahead and start on having that aforementioned fun. Last Wednesday, as you all know, they released one of the great milestones in modern comics. That's right, Blackest Night Issue 5. So my review for Blackest Night Issue 5 is as follows. Dude! Whoa! That was emotionally tough for me. Sometimes it's hard to find the words. Speaking of finding the words, a few months ago I found the words to come up with my first Blackest Night themed audio tweet. I hope you all like it. I just want to get this back into your head. So with no further ado, let's welcome Bill's audio tweet, Black Power Ring, on Half Hour Wasted. Bill's audio Twitter. So I had a great time at the Dallas Comic Con last week, and that was really cool. And thanks to Dan from St. Anne for hooking me up with a couple of black power rings on the way out the door. Um, but I did make one big mistake. I let the kids have them, and I haven't seen the dogs in two days. Don't tell the professor. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Hey, let's keep love going. Let's keep the fun going. Let's keep having that fun. With no further ado, I'm going to take you straight through. Just consider this your own personal jackhammer of fun. Powering information straight into your medulla or whatever it is you process information with, at least in your conscious state. You may be saying, Bill, how can you possibly top that? Well, I'm not going to, but I'm going to try right now. On Half Hour Wasted. Bill's Audio Twitter. So the great and powerful professor gave me an out to go swing by the LCS today before he left for Thanksgiving. I was able to pick up a whole big stack, including the last two power rings. That's right, picked up the red and green. Um, now I'm looking at my entire collection, but where's the red one? No! Boy, that red power ring sure can cause problems, can't it? Oh, that stung for days. Well, I guess I should turn it back over to Frank and Brad. They're probably wondering what the heck happened to their show. So, assuming they let me back on, I'll have another tweet or two for you, and then we'll get to the good stuff, boys. And girls. Alright, it is uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, I'm in the car with my daughter, Allison. Yellow! And my parents, Thomas and Betsy. We are on the way to Kansas City, Missouri for Thanksgiving. And uh, so far it's been eventful. 
and we're only an hour out. So we got how many how many more hours do we have left? Nine more. Nine more hours. This is gonna be fun. If we're lucky. I haven't been to Kansas City in twelve years, maybe. And the last time he was there, it snowed. Yeah, no snow. Uh, no, no snow predicted. So uh, I thought I'd take this time to ask my parents to tell a give me a Thanksgiving memory that had something to do with me. Um, okay, I'm ready. I know which one that'll be. My favorite Thanksgiving memory was when Brad was about three or four. Correct, honey? About four? He was at least four. Okay. <clears throat> and we were at my sister's. They had a house on top of a hill on two and a half acres. And the back part of the acreage <clears throat> had a creek in it. And so my sister had two boys that were a little bit older than Brad, and they took Brad everywhere. They used to take Brad and show him off because he could read when he was like two and three years old. And they would say, look at our smart cousin that take him everywhere. But this one winter, uh, one Thanksgiving, bunch of snow on the ground, and we bundled Brad up like the little kid in Christmas Story with the big snow suit on. And... Um, <clears throat> the boys took him outside and I said no, Jeff and John you be careful with Brad okay Aunt Betsy we will we will well 30-40 minutes later the younger of my sister's boys came running in the house boy I didn't know Brad could swim and I went what what do you mean swim yeah he was swinging on the rope over the creek and fell in and he swam right to the side well we went running down the hill to the creek and there was poor little Brad with his little arms frozen outright in his little snowsuit. He was so cold that he had fallen in the creek, soaking wet. That's our favorite Thanksgiving story about Brad. Do you have one, Dad? Doesn't have to be about me, just anything. <clears throat> well, as long as we're talking about Kansas City and the snow, it's probably that very same trip. Aunt Phil, your mom's sister, said this rooster, they had chickens in the backyard too. And Aunt Phil said, my rooster is just terrorizing all the chickens and the other roosters. I really would like you to butcher the rooster so we can just cook him and make chicken soup out of him and I won't have to worry about him pecking on all the other chickens. And I said, sure, no problem. So the boys heard all that and they went down there with me. And I took a hatchet. You know, I've always heard you just chop the head off. So we went, trudged our way down through all the snow. Beautiful, fresh, fallen snow. We went out to the chicken coop. And I caught the chicken, or had the boys help me catch the chicken. And sure enough, I cut the head off. They don't just lay there and die. They start running. This chicken made a beautiful red mosaic all over the whole backyard. <laughs> uh, it's not really my favorite story, but it's one I have to remember. Was it a Thanksgiving trip or a Christmas trip where I broke my arm? That was summer. That was, yeah, we summer were... Summer vacation. Oh, really? I was thinking it was... No, <clears throat> summer vacation. We were living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time, and we took a trip to go through Kansas City on the way to Colorado to visit. Do a, uh, we went to the mountains camping out. And when we stopped in Kansas City, and you were following the boys everywhere because you were getting bigger... You fell off the bike. Sure enough, you broke your arm, and you knew it, but you didn't even cry. You just came back, 
and mom panicked and Aunt Phil panicked. And I said, Brad, you're a big, strong, brave boy. You're not even crying, and I know you hurt yourself bad. And I asked your, your Aunt Phil to go get a tea, a tea towel so I could make a sling for you. And she came back out with a wash rag, and I yelled at her. <laughs> I said, how can I make a sling out of a wash rag? She said, I don't know what a tea towel is. <laughs> I'm so kind we, of embarrassed that you know what a tea towel is, Dad. <laughs> yeah, well... I've cried tears, you know, what can I say? So we went to the hospital, and you were very brave, and you sat quietly until you saw your x-ray, and it showed the ar- the bones in your arm clearly broken. And as soon as you saw that, you burst into tears. But you were a real trooper the rest of the vacation. We went to Colorado, and you had fun. We climbed mountains, and you had a cast on your arm, but it didn't slow you down. What impressed me most about that story is my son was six years old and could read (laughs) x-rays. Was that, and I guess, when when did you paint my cast as an American flag? When we got back to Nashville. Was it? I guess. Yeah. As soon as I got markers or colors. Because you started kindergarten with a broken arm. Maybe that was first grade. That was first grade. You started first grade. If I was six, then it was first grade. First grade. You started first grade with a cast, and Dad decorated your cast like an American flag. It was a golden Saturday spring afternoon, and my college roommate and I were cruising the back roads of San Antonio when he asked me to hand him his cassette caddy. This is back when cassettes were king. He popped in the tape, and I was introduced to what would become my favorite album. Bad Out of Hell was originally released in 1977 by singer Meatloaf and songwriter Jim Steinman. People have described this album as a combination of urban teenage angst Influenced by the -the over-the-top classical composer Richard Wagner, Wall of Sound pop producer Phil Spector, Bruce Springsteen, and the unrealistic romantic longing inside all of us. This is one of those albums that people either love or hate. It is a polarizing piece that is filled with passion, angst, and over-the-top emotional baggage where we keep our passions boxed away. The album opens with its title track, Bat Out of Hell. The song is large. It's operatic. And it's an absolute powerful introduction to emotional turmoil. This is going to be a ride. The next track, 
You took the words right out of my mouth, opens with spoken word performed by Jim Steinman and Marcy McLean. While I've never been truly able to understand this part of the song, it always makes me laugh. Would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Will he offer me his mouth? Yes. Will he offer me his teeth? Yes. Will he offer me his jaws? Yes. Will he offer me his hunger? Yes. Again? Will he offer me his hunger? Yes. And will he starve without me? Yes. Then does he love me? Yes. Yes. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Yes. I bet you say that to all the boys. Heaven Can Wait is a slower song about someone who may have found love, but it's too late. Come down here just to sing for me. All revved up with no place to go is a guy on the prowl for the girl of his dreams. Two out of three ain't bad is my favorite song on the album. A guy tells a girl that he could never feel the same way for her as she does for him. He then recalls the same thing being told to him by the woman he loved. It is honest and heartbreaking. Every time I listen to this track, I get a little choked up. The sixth track, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, is about two teens, sex, and marriage. Halfway through the song, a metaphoric baseball commentary plays out the action. The teen has had enough. He finally submits to a lifetime commitment. I think my favorite part is towards the end of the song, when the guy proclaims he will love the girl till the end of time, then changes the line to, now I'm praying for the end of time. Yeah. 
For Crying Out Loud recounts a man's longing for the only girl he was ever able to love. I was damned and you were saved And I never knew how enslaved I was kneeling in the chains of my master So there you have it. This is my favorite album. And whenever I feel like I need an emotional jolt, it's always bat out of hell to the rescue. For Half Hour Wasted, I'm Frank A. Rincon. Keep on rocking. easy to follow frank or brad or frank and brad i'm really not sure how this episode is going to cut together so i'm just trying to cover my bases now i'm sure their stuff was terribly entertaining but ask yourself this one question was it pre-produced this next trip to the blackest night universe may not seem pre-produced but oh people it was it was at the cost of minutes of my own personal labor and frankly this whole project has become way too personal for me because it's hitting close to my family this is what I mean. Bill's audio Twitter on half hour wasted. Well, I'm looking at the last couple of rings I picked up at the LCS Thank You Madness Comics, and one of them was the purple power ring, courtesy of the Zamorons. Yeah, they're right across the room right now. I mean, I could see him, and well, hey, Zoe's taking an interest in him. Oh, she looks strangely drawn to that purple power ring. Zoe. You put that ring down. I don't care if you are seven and a half going on 18. So you see what I mean. Not so funny. What happens to you? And what's really not funny? A homeless clown. Also, the orange light of avarice. 
Oh, it takes you and twists your soul until you're someone you can't even recognize. I had to run in with that myself, courtesy of the child living in my third bedroom. On Half Hour Wasted. Bill's Audio Twitter. Okay. It's a little sage. It's almost three years old, which is a really cute age. Now, it is about this time that they start getting, well, shall we say, possessive of things. Start to get a little bit selfish. I just figured it'll pass. Didn't think a thing about it until I went into his room last night to give him a little peck on the cheek and make sure he was still covered up. But to get in there, I did have to fight my way through an army of orange light construct Buzz Lightyears. Well, at this point, I think the odds of Frank and Brad letting me back on the air of this episode are about slim to none. The off chance they do let me back, stay tuned for the exciting continuation of the Book of Dune. On Half Hour Wasted. Hello, everyone. This is Frank Rincon from A Half Hour Wasted. This segment, I thought I would just kind of put together pieces of audio I recorded just while I'm out and about talking to friends running errands buying things, hanging out no real story or narrative here just kind of a whole bunch of random clips of myself with my recorder around my neck just capturing audio so this morning I decided to drive on over to Starbucks and pick up my morning cup of tea. I've made the switch over from um, from coffee to tea about a week ago, and uh, I'm finding I like it. It's making me. Uh, it's not that the caffeine was giving me problems. It's just I thought I'd try something new. Um, the lack of caffeine turns out is it's not giving me a problem, which I'm happy to which I'm happy to report. Which means I'm not addicted to coffee. Yay. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Have you heard of uh, how they call emerald? Emerald. Not right off the bat. What's it about? Uh, it was a cowboy one. I remember you reading some like Western type ones. Right, right, right. Yeah, and uh, that one manga site I go to. Uh huh. Yeah, it had something. Uh, yeah, it was it was a like a Western type one. And it was called Emerald. Oh, okay. You heard of it? No, never have. But yeah. kind of Western manga, huh? Yeah. I yeah. give that a try. That sounds kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. If you want to look it up on that site? Okay. What was the site again? It was uh, one manga. One. And is it just O N W or O N E? Yeah, O N E manga. Okay, yeah, I'll yeah. have to check it out. You told me about it, and I didn't write it down. I forgot it, so yeah. I got my computer. I'll log on right now. Yeah, check it out. But yeah, you doing a coffee? Uh, I'm going to do a tea, um, a tall call. Tall coffee? Yeah. One fifty seven, sir. And, uh, mate, I get a receipt so I can see my balance. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Here you go, sir. Just stayed here in town with some friends and, um, you know, didn't, you know, just very laid back. Uh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't feel like a lot of turkey this year. I had one plate. I didn't go overboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you? Did super stuff. No, I just had uh, some barbecue. Okay. Uh, yeah, real estate. 
seems like I've been like slicing on the turkey and the dressing every year. <laughs> but barbecue, that's not bad. That's yeah, a good Texas yeah. Thanksgiving, you know? It's, uh, yeah, considering it's all family stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of... that's one of those stuffing, though, man. Oh, I know. Stuffing's like my... Yeah. Like the one weakness, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of gravy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I'll see you. This is Frank. I'm at the Valero station waiting for my friend Mark. Mark is an old college friend. This is a good meeting spot because uh, it's right on the corner of two major intersections and I don't have to... Uh, it's just easy for someone to pull in and I can hop in and then we can uh, we can take off. It's always at the Valero station. Anyway, I, I consider this the scary Valero station because the cashier has bulletproof glass all around them. A little bulletproof cage. And um, people like to hang out in front of it, like myself, only drinking at all hours of night. Anyway, I hope Mark comes here soon so we can just uh, hit the road. It'll be fun. Kind of need some excitement right now. Kind of need something exciting to happen. Feeling kind of numb. Hey, Mark. I'm recording us. Is that okay? I'm recording us. Okay. I'm recording because I need a segment for Half Hour Wasted, so I'm kind of doing like a weekend in the life of Frank. So. Uh, okay. So you're just going to take snippets and bits? Yeah. Oh. So, uh, so we've known each other since Corpus, Corpus Christi. And they moved up to Denton, lived there for a while, went to school. Now, now we're both in Dallas. Known each other, but since 1990. No, 80, or was it 90? 88? No. 88? That's a long time. That's uh, 30 years. TSA. Yeah, that's 30 years. Is that right? Yes, it is. 88, 98, 2008. Well, 21. Well, yeah, but if you if you count it correctly, it's 20. But if you count yeah. it incorrectly, it's 30. Right. Or if, if you want to be more incorrect, it's 50. That's even better. Yes, that's even a better point. Yeah, 50 years. So we've known each other 50 years, give or take. And, uh, and uh, now here we are on the road. Good morning, Nancy. How are you? I'm fine. What? <laughs> Find a way you said that. Here we are at our Starbucks. Come here. All right, get in the car. I was thinking, she can get in the back. Um, I was thinking that when Susan comes, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll sit in the back. Could, with... No, no, no. I'll, uh, no, you sit in the front. Okay, mm-hmm. can you get her in the back? Yeah, sure. Hold on, I just got I got my hands full, no, so. I'm going to do it. Okay. Hey, sweetie. Okay, get out. Get out. And now there get in. No, not, not over there. <laughs> Come here. Come here, Roxy, Roxy. Okay, get in this side. Oh, this way. No, I know you should get this. Okay, you're not understanding. Sorry. <laughs> okay, no. Um, if Susan brings her dog, mm-hmm. her dog is finicky, and mm-hmm. I was thinking they could sit in the back okay. and have the whole back seat, and Roxy and you could sit up front and kind of keep them separate. Heck yeah. I was reading through that. Have you read through? Don't stop believing. Oh, you're 
half hour wasted? Where's my half hour wasted? Where's my half hour wasted? Anyway, I'm walking into Best Buy as we speak right now. All right, I'm looking for my stuff. Looking for the stuff. I'm here for specific items. What is that? You don't mind me asking. It's a recorder. It's a, oh, it's okay. a recorder. Uh, let's see. I don't see the one I'm looking for. Whereas it's got to be here somewhere. I'm sure it's all gone by this point. Oh gosh. $7.99 Star Trek Blu-rays. That's what I'm talking about. First Contact, Undiscovered Country, The Voyage Home. It looks like Wrath of Khan is all gone, which uh, is very disappointing. Very disappointing. Uh, Robocop? What do you think? Robocop for eight bucks? Robocop for eight bucks? Why not? Make Johnny M proud. All right, let's see. And, uh, oh, there it is. Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan and, uh, shoot, I Am Legend? Why not? All right. No, you know what? I like Will Smith, but I don't need I Am Legend. It's not as crazy here as it is in Texas on uh, Black Friday morning. Not as crazy here. Alright, so I just left. And uh, first things first, Johnny, I put the uh, I put the Terminator, I mean the uh, RoboCop Blu-ray back. Just, you know, it's a good movie, but I'll never watch it again. Alright, so uh, the other things I was looking for weren't there, but I found something that I didn't even see in the ad that I went ahead and picked up. Merry Christmas to me. And uh, I'm just gonna get in the truck. I'm just not gonna talk about what I acquired today. Let's just say I had a nice visit at the Best Buy. So now... 7.13 in the morning. <clears throat> Maybe I should run into Office Max and see what the hubbub is all about. Saturday morning on my Thanksgiving trip. Taking a walk outside my aunt's house. See a sign on the telephone pole that says, Caution, children walking in roadway. And I'm thinking, don't they teach their kids up here not to play in the street? But you never know. Everybody's uh, gone doing their thing. Allison is with the girls. All the guys are out hunting. And I decided I'd take a day to myself. Take a walk. Just hang out at the house. <clears throat> Found a comic book store yesterday with my brother. Picked up a few books to tide me over till I get home. And uh, now I'm taking a walk into town try to find some food it's not as cold up here as I think uh, as I expected and uh, okay here's something new there's this old lady sitting on a lawn chair in her yard raking the leaves around her raking them to 
towards her. So her chair is actually surrounded by leaves. She's got a black plastic bag half full of leaves. And now she's looking around. She just did a complete 360, kind of like Exorcist, looking at all the leaves surrounding her chair. And uh, it looks like she's trying to figure out how to get up without messing up her leaves. That's pretty funny. Hope I live long enough to sit out in the yard in a lawn chair and rake leaves. As long as I can wipe myself, I'll be okay. So I really hope you've enjoyed the segment so far. I hope you enjoyed Brad's segments. And of course, I don't want to forget Frank's segment. And I mainly hope that you enjoyed my review of Blackest Night 5, my tweets, and now the Book of Dune, the reading of Chapter 2. With all apologies, by the way, to the Herbert Estate, I am not doing this to make money in any way, shape, or form. I am doing this merely to publicize and advertise and market the Dune series. So with that hopefully legally binding caveat out of the way, Chapter 2. But before that, let me do add one more thing in. My computer is getting wonky. So if anybody out there has a really kick-butt computer, uh, I would be glad to uh, give you my mailing address. Barring that, in the next five minutes, I'm going to read Chapter 2 of the Book of Dune. Now this wonky computer of mine is going to skip on me every now and again, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. So my apologies in advance for the uh, audio skips. It's not your computer. It's not your podcasting system. It is, in fact, my recording device. So I'd like to apologize humbly and profusely and completely over the state of my recording equipment. Hopefully, you'll get most of the words and we'll all have a good time. To attempt an understanding of Muad'Dib without understanding his mortal enemies, the Harkonnens, is to attempt seeing truth without seeing it is the attempt to see the light without knowing darkness. It cannot be. From Manual of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. It was a relief globe of a world, partly in shadows, spinning under the impetus of a fat hand that glittered with rings. The globe sat on a freeform stand at one wall of a windowless room, whose other walls presented a patchwork of multicolored scrolls, film books, tapes, and reels. Light glowed in the room from golden balls hanging in mobile suspensor fields. An ellipsoid desk with a top of jade-pink petrified lacquer wood stood at the center of the room. Veriform suspensor chairs ringed it, two of them occupied. In one sat a dark-haired youth of about sixteen years, round of face and with sullen eyes. The other held a slender, short man with an effeminate face. Both youth and man stared at the globe and the man half-hidden in shadows spinning it. A chuckle sounded beside the globe. A basso voice rumbled out of the chuckle. There it is, Piter, the biggest man-trap in all history, and the Duke's headed into its jaws. Is it not agnum that I, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, do? Assuredly, Baron, said the man. His voice came out tenor with a sweet musical quality. The fat hand descended onto the globe, stopped the spinning. Now all eyes in the room could focus on the motionless surface and see that it was the kind of globe made for wealthy collectors or planetary governors of the Empire. It had the stamp of imperial handicraft about it. Latitude and longitude lines were laden with fine hair platinum wire. The polar caps were insets of finest cloud milk diamonds. The fat hand moved, tracing details in the surface. I invite you to observe, the basso voice rumbled. Observe closely, Piter, and you too, Fade Routh, my darling. 
From 60 degrees north to 70 degrees south, those exquisite ripples. Their coloring does not remind you of sweet caramels, and nowhere do you see blue of lakes or rivers or seas. And these lovely polar caps, so small. Could anyone mistake this place? Arrakis, truly unique. A superb setting for a unique victory. A smile touched Piter's lips. And if the Padishah Emperor believes he's given the Duke your spice planet, how poignant. That's a nonsensical statement, the Baron rumbled. You say this to confuse young Fade Routha, but it is not necessary to confuse my nephew. The sullen-faced youth stirred in his chair, smoothed a wrinkle in the black leotards he wore. He sat upright as a discreet tapping sounded the door in the wall behind him. Piter unfolded from his chair, crossed to the door, cracked it wide enough to accept a message cylinder. He closed the door, unrolled the cylinder, and scanned it. A chuckle sounded from him. Another. Well, the Baron demanded, the fool answered us, Baron. Whenever did an Atreides refuse the opportunity for a gesture, the Baron asked. Well, what does he say? He's most uncouth, Baron. Addresses you as a Harkonnen. No sire, no share cousin, no title, nothing. It's a good name, the Baron growled, and his voice betrayed his impatience. What does dear Leto say? He says, your offer of a meeting is refused. I have oft times met your treachery, and this all men know. And? the Baron asked. Does the art of Canley still has admirers in the Empire? He signs it, Duke Leto of Arrakis. Piter began to laugh. Of Arrakis! Oh my, this is almost too rich! Be silent, Piter, the Baron said, and the laughter stopped as though shut off with a switch. Canley, is it? the Baron asked. Vendetta, huh? And he uses the nice old word so rich in tradition to be sure I know he means it. You made the peace gesture, Piter said. The forms have been obeyed. For Mentat, you talk too much, Peter, the biter, the Baron said. And he thought, I must do away with that one soon. He has almost outlived his usefulness. The Baron stared across the room at his Mentat assassin, seeing the feature about him that most people noticed first. The eyes. The shaded slits of blue within blue. The eyes without any white in them at all. A grin flashed across Piter's face. It was like a mask grimaced behind those eyes like holes. But Baron... Never has revenge been more beautiful. It is to see a plan of the most exquisite treachery, to make Leto exchange Caladan for Dune, and without alternative, because the Empire orders it. How you? In a cold voice, the Baron said, You have a flux of the mouth, Piter. But I am happy, my Baron, whereas you... You were touched by jealousy. Piter! Aha, Baron. Is it not regrettable you were unable to devise this delicious scheme by yourself? Someday I will have you strangled, Piter. Of a certainty, Baron. Enfin, but a kind act is never lost, eh? Have you been chewing Verite or Samuda, Piter? Truth without fear surprises the Baron, Piter said. His face drew down to a caricature of a frowning mask. Aha, but you see, Baron, I know as a mentat when you will send the executioner. You will hold back just so long as I am useful. To move sooner would be wasteful. I am yet of much use. I know what it is you learn from that lovely dune planet. Waste not. True, Baron? The Baron continued to stare at Piter. Fedrautha squirmed in his chair. Those wrangling fools, he thought. My uncle cannot talk to his mentat without arguing. Do they think I'm nothing to do except listen to their arguments? Fade, the Baron said. I told you to listen and learn when I invited you in here. Yes, uncle. The voice was carefully subservient. Sometimes I wonder about Piter, the Baron said. I cause pain out of necessity, but he, I swear he takes a positive delight in it. For myself, I feel pity towards the poor Duke Leto. Dr. Yui will move against him soon, and that will be the end of the Atreides. But surely Leto will know whose hand directed the pliant doctor, and knowing that will be a terrible thing. Then why haven't you 
directed the doctor to slip a kinjal between his ribs quickly and efficiently, Piter asked. You talk of pity, but the Duke must know what I encompass his doom, the Baron said, and the other great houses must learn of it. The knowledge will give them pause. I'll gain a bit more room to maneuver. The necessity is obvious, but I don't have to like it. Room to maneuver, Piter sneered. Already you have the Emperor's eyes on you, Baron. You move too boldly. One day the Emperor will send a legion into the Sardaukar down here onto Gidi Prime, and that'll be an end to the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. You'd like to see that, wouldn't you, Piter? the Baron asked. You'd enjoy seeing the car pillage through my cities and sack this castle. You'd truly enjoy that. Does the Baron need to ask? the Piter whispered. You should have been a basher of the corps, the Baron said. You're too interested in blood and pain. Perhaps I was too quick with my promise of the spoils of Arrakis. Piter took five curiously mincing steps into the room, stopped directly behind Phaedratha. There was a slight air of tension in the room, and the youth looked up at Piter with a worried frown. Do not toy with Piter, Baron, Piter said. You promised me to Lady Jessica. You promised her to me. For what, Piter? the Baron asked. For pain? Piter stared at him, dragging out the silence. Fade Ralpha moved a suspension chair to one side, said, Uncle, do I have to stay? You said you'd... My darling Fade Ralpha grows impatient, the Baron said. He moved within the shadows beside the globe. Patience, Fade. And he turned his attention back to the Mentat. What of the Dukeling, the child Paul, my dear Piter? The trap will bring him to you, Baron, Piter muttered. That's not my question, the Baron said. You will recall that you predicted the Bene Gesserit would to the Duke. You were wrong, eh, Mentat? I'm not often wrong, Baron, Piter said. For the first time there was fear in his voice. Give me that. I'm not often wrong. And you know yourself these Bene Gesserit bear mostly daughters. Even the Emperor's consort has produced only females. Uncle, said Fadrautha, you said there'd be something important here for me to... Listen to my nephew, the Baron said. He aspires to rule my barony, yet he cannot rule himself. The Baron stirred the lobe, a shadow among shadows. Well then, Fadrautha Harkonnen, I summon you here hoping to teach you a bit of wisdom. Have you observed our good Mentat? You should have learned something from this exchange. But, Uncle, a most efficient Mentat, Piter, wouldn't you say, Fade? Yes, but... Ah, indeed, but... But he consumes too much spice. Eat it's like candy. Look at his eyes. He might have come directly from the Iraq and labor pool. Efficient, Piter, but he's still emotional and prone to passion and outbursts. Efficient, Piter, but he still can err. Piter spoke in a slow, sullen tone. Did you call me in here to impair my efficiency with criticism, Baron? Impair your efficiency? You know me better, Piter. I wish only for my nephew to understand the limitations of a mentat. Are you already training my replacement, Piter demanded. Replace you? Why, Piter, where could I find another mentat with your cunning and venom? Same place you found me, Baron. Perhaps I should at that, the Baron mused. You do seem a bit unstable lately in the spice you eat. Are my pleasures too expensive, Baron? them. My dear Piter, your pleasures are what tie you to me. How could I object to that? I merely wish my nephew to observe this about you. Then I'm on display, Piter said. Shall I dance? Shall I perform my various functions for the eminent fade rap? Precisely, the Baron said. You are on display. Now be silent. He glanced at fade Rautha, noting his nephew's lips, the full and pouting look of them. The Harkonnen genetic marker now twisted slightly in amusement. This is a Mentat fade. It has been trained and conditioned to perform certain duties. The fact that it's encased in a human body, however, must not be overlooked. A serious drawback that I sometimes think the ancients with their thinking machines are the right idea. They were toys compared to me, Peter snarled. You yourself, Baron, could outperform those machines. Perhaps, the Baron said. Ah, well. He took a deep breath, belched. 
Now Piter outlined for my nephew the salient features of our campaign against the House of Atreides. Function as a Mentat force, if you please. Baron, I've warned you not to trust one's information. My observations of... I'll be the judge of this, the Baron said. I give you an order, Mentat. Perform one of your various functions. So be it, Piter said. He straightened, assuming an odd attitude of dignity, as though it were another mask, but this time clothing his entire body. In a few days, standard, the entire household of the Duke Leto will embark on a spacing guild liner for Arrakis. The guild will deposit them at the city of Arrakeen rather than our city of Carthag. The Duke's mentat, Thufur Hawat, will have concluded rightly that Arrakeen is easier to defend. Listen carefully, Fade, the Baron said. Observe the plans within plans within plans. Fade Routha nodded, thinking, This is more like it. The old monster is letting me in on secret things at last. He must really mean for me to be his heir. There are several tangential possibilities, Piter said. I indicate that House Atreides will go to Arrakis. We must not, however, ignore the possibility that Duke has contracted the guild to remove him to a place of safety outside the system. Others, in like circumstances, have become renegade houses, taking family houses and fleeing beyond the Imperium. The Duke's too proud a man for that, the Baron said. It is a possibility, Piter said. The ultimate effect would be for us the same, however. No, it would not, the Baron growled. I must have him dead and his line ended. That's the high probability, Piter said. There are certain preparations that indicate when a house is going renegade. The Duke appears to be doing none of these things. So, the Baron sighed. Get on with it, Piter. At Arakeen, Piter said. The Duke and his family will occupy the residency, lately the house of Count and Lady Fenring. The ambassador to the smugglers, Baron chuckled. Ambassador to what, Fadrotha asked? Your uncle makes a joke, Piter said. He calls Count Fenring ambassador to the smugglers, indicating the Emperor's interest in smuggling operations on Arrakis. Fade Routha turned a puzzled stare on his uncle. Why? Don't be dense, Fade, Baron snapped. As long as the guild remains effectively outside Imperial control, how could it be otherwise? How else could spies and assassins move about? Fade Routha's mouth, mouth made a soundless O. Oh. We've arranged diversions at the residency, Piter said. There will be an attempt on the life of the Atreides heir, an attempt which could succeed... Piter, the Baron rumbled, you indicated. I indicated accidents can happen, Piter said, and the attempt must appear valid. Ah, but the lad has such a sweet young body, the Baron said. Of course he's potentially more dangerous than the father, with that witch mother training him, a cursed woman. Ah, well, please continue, Piter. Hawat will have divined that we have an agent planted on him, Piter said. The obvious suspect is Dr. Yui, who is indeed our agent. But Hawat has investigated and found that our doctor is a souk school graduate with imperial conditioning, supposedly safe enough to minister even to the emperor. Great store is set on imperial conditioning. It's assumed that ultimate conditioning cannot be removed without killing the subject. However, as someone once observed, given the right lever, you can move a planet. We found the lever that moved the doctor. How? Fadrotha asked. He found this a fascinating subject. Everyone knew he's worked imperial conditioning. Another time, the Baron said. Continue, Piter. In place of Yui, Piter said, we'll drag a most interesting suspect across Hawat's path. The very audacity of the suspect will recommend her to Hawat's attention. Her? Fadrotha asked. The Lady Jessica herself, the Baron said. Is it not sublime? Piter asked. Hawat's mind will be filled with this prospect. It'll impair his function as a mentat. He may even try to kill her, Piter frowned then, but I don't think he'll be able to carry it off. You don't want him to, eh? the Baron asked. Don't distract me, Piter said. While Hawat's occupied with the Lady Jessica, we'll divert him further with uprising in a few garrison towns and the like. These will be put down. The Duke must believe he's gaining a measure of security. Then, when the moment is ripe, we'll signal Yui and move in with our major force. Uh, 
Go ahead, tell them all of it, the Baron said. We'll move and strengthen by legions of Sardaukar disguise and Harkon and livery. Sardaukar, he wrote. His mind focused on the dread Imperial troops, the killers without mercy, the soldier fanatics of the Padishah Emperor. You see how I trust you, Fade, the Baron said. No hint of this must ever reach another great house, else Landsrad might unite against the Imperial House, and there'd be chaos. The main point, Piter said, is this. Since House Harkonnen is being used to the Imperial dirty work, we've gained a true advantage. It's a dangerous advantage, to be sure, but if used cautiously, bring House Harkonnen greater wealth than any other house in the Superium. You have no idea how much wealth is involved, Fade, the Baron said, not in your wildest imaginings. To begin, we'll have an irrevocable directorship in the Chome Company. Fade Routha nodded. Wealth was the thing. Chome was the key to wealth, each noble house dipping from the company's coffers, whatever it could under the power of the directorships. These Chome directorships, they were the real evidence of political power in the Imperium, passing with the shifts of voting Sensrad as it balanced itself against the Emperor and his supporters. The Duke Leto, Piter said, may attempt to flee to the few Fremen scum along the desert's edge, or he may try to send his family into that imagined security, but that path is blocked by one of His Majesty's agents, the planetary ecologist. You may remember him. Kinds. Fade remembers him, the Baron said. Get on with it. You do not drool her prettily, Baron, Piter said. Get on with it. I command you, the Baron roared. Piter shrugged. If matters go as planned, he said, House Harkonnen will have a sub-fife on Arrakis within a standard year. Your uncle will have dispensation of that fife. His own personal agent will rule on Arrakis. More profits, Fadrautha said. Indeed, the Baron said, and he thought, it's only just. We're the ones who tamed Arrakis, except for the few mongrel Fremen hidden in the skirts of the desert, some tame smugglers bound to the planet almost as tightly as the native labor pool. And the great houses will know that the Baron has destroyed the Atreides, Piter said. They will know. They will know, the Baron breathed. Loveliest of all, Piter said, Duke will know, too. He knows now. He can already feel trap. It's true the Duke knows, the Baron said, and his voice held a note of sadness. He could not help but know. More's the pity. The Baron moved out and away from the globe of Arrakis. As he emerged from the shadows, his figure took on dimension, grossly and immensely fat, and with subtle bulges beneath folds of his dark robes to reveal that all this fat was sustained partly by portable suspensors harnessed to his flesh. He might weigh two hundred standard kilos in actuality, but his feet could carry no more than fifty of them. I am hungry, the Baron rumbled, and he rubbed his protruding lips with a bringed hand, stared down at Fadrath through fat and folded eyes. Send for food, my darling. We will eat before we retire. As Oscar Wilde once said, the only thing better than reading Dune is having someone read it to you. Wow, what a long, strange trip, huh? I got to admit, I am spent like Paris Hilton's dignity. Well, I sure hope that Brad or Frank have come up with a close for this thing, because I wasn't planning on doing one. On the off chance I do have to do one, I'd like to thank Brad, I'd like to thank Frank, I'd like to thank you kind, gentle, intelligent listeners. Oh, those of you with above-average taste and an internet account that allows you to download podcasts, that's important too. Don't want to forget our sponsor for this episode, and... um well, okay, that's about all I got. So, uh, hey, uh, I love you all. We'll see you for the live episode. Good night on Half Hour Wasted. <laughs>